0: Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. My name is Amber Bowman, and I'm a hospitalist at the Durham VA. Today we'll be talking about management of chest pain at the Durham VA. We will first start with a case of Mrs. T., she is a 58-year-old female with a history of diabetes mellitus, previously poorly controlled, with a A1c of 13, however improved now to 6.4, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, tobacco abuse, sleep apnea, noncompliant with her CPAP, who presents with squeezing chest pain. She reports she was in her usual state of health until 9 p.m. the night prior to admission when she noticed the sudden onset of squeezing chest pain at rest with radiation to her left shoulder. She had mild nausea without vomiting and became diaphoretic. The pain ultimately eased off without intervention, and the following morning she reported to work as normal. During a break, she went outside and noted recurrence of her chest pain with radiation to her shoulders and diaphoresis. She denies any shortness of breath, palpitations, lightheadedness, or syncope. Her home medications include gabapentin, zolpidem, metformin, glargine, amlodipine, lisinopril, furosemide, carvedilol, metformin, and rosuvastatin. She endorses first-degree relatives with a history of stroke and history of ischemic heart disease. She is minimally active at baseline due to limitations of neuropathy and primarily uses a scooter, but prior to this, she had noted no change in her functional capacity. Her vital signs in the ED were significant for sinus tachycardia to 111, She was hypertensive with systolic blood pressure in the 180s. Her initial EKG showed sinus tach with PVCs and nonspecific ST changes in the precordial leads without any depressions or elevations. Troponin trends were as followed. Her initial troponin was 0.071, followed by 0.061, increased to 0.14 and 0.28 over her initial three hours in the emergency department. In this talk, we're going to discuss the definition of an MI determining CCU versus floor placement at the VA, how to use the history and physical to risk stratify chest pain, clinical tools to aid in risk stratification, and appropriate diagnostic studies to order based on a patient's risk stratification. Before we dive deep into chest pain here at the VA, it's important to remember that all chest pain is not cardiac ischemia. Despite the seemingly typical nature of any patient's chest pain, I make a point to review alternative causes that are known to have high morbidity and mortality to ensure I'm not missing anything critical. Regarding the cardiac causes, it's important not to miss pericarditis, including tamponade and aortic dissection, the latter being so important if you are particularly considering heparinizing a patient. Esophageal causes include esophageal perforation or impaction, and critical pulmonary causes include pneumothorax and pulmonary embolism, which often causes troponin elevation secondary to cardiac strain. Additionally, we have seen occasionally seen acute pancreatitis present as quote unquote chest pain here at the VA. So it's important to have the patient localize their pain more specifically to you. Consideration of these causes with every chest pain admission you evaluate will ensure your diagnostic schema is appropriate. Physicians seek to categorize patients presenting with symptoms concerning for myocardial ischemia into one of three groups, a STEMI, a non-ST-segment elevation acute coronary syndrome, and non-cardiac chest pain. The VA does not have a cardiac observation unit, so patients that are very low risk will likely be discharged from the ED. However, occasionally these patients will be admitted for various reasons unrelated to their chest pain, and assuming troponins remain negative and EKG unconcerning, Decision regarding cardiac testing with a myocardial perfusion study versus discharge can be made. On the other extreme, STEMIs are generally not seen by medical house staff as they are sent straight to the cath lab or referred to Duke or nearest cath lab during non-business hours. In the middle, we have our non-ST elevation myocardial infarcts or acute coronary syndrome. A non-ST elevation myocardial infarct is defined as at least one elevation in cardiac troponin above the 99th percentile limit of the assay with a typical rise and fall along with symptoms of ischemia or EKG changes consistent with ischemia and additionally can also be defined with an imaging evidence of loss of viable myocardium or detection of an intracoronary thrombus. At the VA, we typically define an MSTEMI as any troponin elevation greater than 0.5 or greater than 0.05 with a 20% increase in a typical rise-fall pattern. We further differentiate NSTEMEs into subtypes, primarily type 1, an MI caused by acute atherothrombotic coronary artery disease, typically precipitated by atherosclerotic plaque disruption, or type 2, an MI due to a mismatch between oxygen supply and demand. Acute coronary syndrome with negative troponins remains a clinical diagnosis of declining incidence due to the presence of high-sensitive troponin assays. If your patient meets the definition of a myocardial infarction, management is more clearly evidence-based, and I refer you to Dr. Sunil Rao's podcast for more details. In brief, however, you consider anticoagulation with heparin or, in some cases, low molecular weight heparin, Plavix or ticagrel or loading, unless there are contraindications, and ensure the EMS and ED have previously aspirin-loaded the patient. Initiate statin. Consider a beta block or ACE inhibitor, as the patient's hemodynamics will tolerate. Order an echo via cardiac consult and additionally a left heart cath consult if the patient is agreeable as well as put the patient on the cath board located on the third floor outside of the cath lab. For patients who are diagnosed with NSTEMI after admission from the ED, you may be concerned they need a higher level of care such as the CCU. Serial EKG introponins will help further risk stratify your patient and may prompt you to discuss with the CCU resident. If the CCU resident evaluates the patient at bedside, a formal consult with documentation should be placed. A recent study done at Duke helped identify which patients might warrant ICU-level care. Using the ACTION ICU risk score, investigators were able to identify the proportion of patients with each ACTION ICU risk score that developed a complication requiring ICU care. The likelihood of developing a complication requiring ICU care increased tenfold from the lowest to the highest scores from 3.4 to 39 percent. Overall, 14.6 percent of patients had an ICU risk score less than 2 corresponding to a very low likelihood, less than 5% of clinical deterioration requiring ICU care. 48% had a score less than 5, corresponding to a less than 10% risk of requiring ICU care. And 11% had an action ICU risk score greater than 12, corresponding to a more than 30% risk of requiring ICU care. Now, for patients more in the gray areas of unstable angina, troponin negative acute coronary syndrome, and chest pain likely to be non-cardiac, otherwise known as atypical chest pain, several factors can help risk stratify a patient. First, let's discuss how to use the history and physical to risk stratifying chest pain at the VA. There have been several well-known studies looking at the likelihood ratios of physical exam findings and findings on the history at how they correlate with acute coronary syndrome. An abnormal prior stress test gives a likelihood ratio of 3.1, peripheral artery disease a likelihood ratio of 2.7, and prior coronary disease a likelihood ratio of 2. Pain rating to both arms correlates with a likelihood ratio of 2.6. Pain the patient describes as similar to prior cardiac chest pain as 2.2, and changes in the pain over the prior 24 hours a likelihood ratio of 2.0. Additionally, hypotension has a likelihood ratio of 3.9 of correlating to acute coronary syndrome. Now changing gears to clinical tools, one of the most useful I find here at the VA is using the HART score. The Heart score has been validated in several studies and has been proven to be powerful and straightforward to separate patients into low, medium, and high risk groups. The Heart score is a scoring system for patients presenting with chest pain in the emergency department. By assigning 0, 1, or 2 points toward a patient history, EKG abnormalities, age, risk factors, and troponin, patients receive a score of 0 to 10. Patients with a score of 0 to 3 have 1.6% of a cardiac event, 4 to 6, 13%, and greater than 7, 50% risk of MI, angioplasty, cabbage, or death within six weeks. The heart score uh, is a mnemonic with H for history, two points for highly suspicious, one moderately suspicious, or zero slightly suspicious for cardiac event. E EKG, two points for significant ST deviation, one for non-specific repolarization, left bundle branch abnormality, zero for normal. Age, two points for age greater than 65, one point for age 45 to 65, zero points for age less than 45. Risk factors. these include hypertension, hyperlipidemia, diabetes, obesity, smoking, current or recently quit positive family history prior atherosclerotic disease, or MI, cabbage, stroke, or peripheral artery disease. Two points for more than three risk factors, one point for one or two risk factors, zero points for no risk factors. And the troponins, um, zero points for normal troponin, one point for troponin one to three times normal, which at the VA is 0.05, and two points for troponin three times normal. So, again, a uh, heart score of 0 to 3 is a 0.2 likelihood ratio of ACS, a score of 4.79. Heart scores of 5 to 6 correlate to a 2.4 likelihood ratio of ACS, and a heart score of 7 to 10 correlates to a likelihood ratio of 13. Patients of intermediate risk, unlike at other hospitals, may go to a clinical observation unit, are often admitted to the VA for further cardiac testing to risk stratify. Additionally, if you determine the patient may not be of such acuity that would require admission but you think a cardiac stress test within 30 days is warranted, inpatient admission is likely the best way to ensure this is done. Patients who do not meet the definition of MI but are of intermediate risk, usually considered a heart score of 4 to 6, can be further risk stratified with a functional study here at the VA. Types of stress tests available at the VA, notably we do not have stress echoes. However, we do have exercise treadmill tests that are for veterans with interpretable EKGs and no prior history of CAD. In general, if a veteran can walk down the hall, he or she may use the treadmill. Patients on O2 or that use a cane may also be a candidate. Bicycle stress tests may be used for some patients with balance issues. Stress testing with myocardial perfusion imaging are preferable patients with known CAD or patients that have uninterpretable EKGs, such as left bundle, right bundle, or an inability to use the treadmill or bike. Occasionally, MPIs are done on exercise or bike, but most often these are pharmacologic stress tests with nuclear imaging. The VA performs dobutamine stress tests, where dobutamines are used at increasing doses until a target heart rate is reached, and adenosine, which notably are contraindicated in patients with reactive airway disease. Beta blockers must be held prior to dobutamine testing, and caffeine must be held prior to adenosine testing. Utilization of the above studies will identify inducible ischemia, which typically warrants further investigation via left heart cath. Occasionally fixed perfusion defects will be found consistent with prior MI, which typically requires no further testing in patients with known CAD, but may warrant diagnostic left heart cath if the patient has not previously had one. So returning to our patient from the beginning, she had a heart score of 8, assuming you agree that her history was highly suspicious. And she notably had a 20% increase in her troponin, though it remained less than 0.5, which would define her as having an N-STEMI, presumed to be type 1. She was admitted with a diagnosis of N-STEMI, plavix loaded, started on aspirin, beta blocker, and a heparin drip. Her home ACE inhibitor was continued, and metformin was held. Her echo noted normal LV size, moderate LVH, normal LV function. No significant valvular disease was noted. She underwent a left heart cath, which showed... Normal left main and LAD, she had a 40% lesion in her Diag 1, 95% OM2, and a 10% RCA. She received a drug-eluting stent to her OM2. Uh, she did well after left hard cath and was discharged on Plavix, aspirin, and advised to continue statin, beta blocker, and ACE inhibitor. She was counseled on tobacco cessation, provided with nicotine patches, and a referral to VA smoking cessation clinic. She was encouraged to use her CPAP machine. For reference for additional discussion on these topics, I encourage you to look at does this patient with chest pain have acute coronary syndrome, the rational clinical examination systematic review from JAMA 2015, authored by Alex Vanneroff and others, as well as risk score to predict need for intensive care and initially hemodynamically stable dots with non-ST segment elevation myocardial infarction, the ACTION ICU score, also authored by Alex Vanneroff views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veterans Affairs or Durham VA Hospital.